Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Hello and welcome to episode 202 of the Chills of Will podcast. Pleasure today to be joined by Dennis J. Sweeney. And here's a little bit about Dennis. Dennis James Sweeney is the author of You're the Woods 2 and In the Antarctic Circle, as well as four chapbooks of poetry and prose, including Ghost Slash Home, A Beginner's Guide to Being Haunted. His first book, In the Antarctic Circle, won the Autumn House Rising Writer Prize and was a debut poetry book of 2021 in Poets and Writers as well as a finalist for the National Poetry Series and the Big Other Book Award. His second book, You're the Woods Too, which will be the focus of our discussion today, is a small press distribution bestseller and a finalist for the Deborah Tall Lyric Essay Prize. His fiction, nonfiction, and poetry have appeared in Ecotone, Ninth Letter, The New York Times, The Southern Review, and Witness, among others. Formerly a small press editor at Entropy and assistant editor at Denver Quarterly, he has an MFA from Oregon State University, and a PhD from the University of Denver. His writing has been supported by residencies from Bush Creek Foundation for the Arts, I Park Foundation, and Virginia Center for the Creative Arts. He is the recipient of a Fulbright grant to Malta. Originally from Cincinnati, he lives in Amherst, Massachusetts, where he teaches at Amherst College. Dennis, how are you today? I'm super good. Yeah, thank you so much. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to talk to you. We were talking shop a little before we started recording. Cincinnati, Ohio, I have not had a chance to visit, but I guess I have some distant relatives in Kentucky, which is like across the border, right? Across the river? Yeah, literally. I, I We were just there and um, I took my partner to like the sort of shopping mall in, in Northern Kentucky. And like, I was like, like halfway through, we were there for like an hour or two hours. I was like, oh yeah, we're in Kentucky. And she's like, what? In Kentucky? It was like a 10 minute drive from our house. Right. You know, so. Yeah, right I, on the river. So, you know, I was, you know, some people think myself, we kind of think of Kentucky as like the South. I guess it's like the Mid-South. But Ohio, we think of as, you know, Midwest. But like you said, it's 10 minutes away or whatever. But I'd love to know just about growing up in Ohio. Obviously, you write a lot about nature. And I don't necessarily think of Cincinnati as the most nature. But, you know, nature is everywhere. I'm not part of your collections. You can find it everywhere. I'd love to know just like your early relationship with reading and writing, like I normally ask. But also like your early relationship with, with nature and and finding it on your own. And- totally. Yeah, it brings up such a hilarious memory because when I was a kid, like I absolutely hated nature. You know, I just wanted to sit in my room reading books, <laughs> like imagining other worlds, like mostly science fiction. You know, I was like reading a lot of like Orson Scott Card and before that, like mm. kind of the Bruce Kobe books, you know, like an alienate my homework and all that stuff. Uh-huh. I was just so deep into exploring kind of fictional and f- fantastical worlds. But like <laughs> when we went out in the woods, like my parents got this membership to the nature center in Cincinnati. And I remember just going for like walks there every once in a while. And they would have to drag me and my sister out the door. (laughs) And we were like, no, not the leaves and the trees and the bugs. Ew, right? Yeah, it was so, ooh. 
oh my gosh yeah so we would just be like tramping around there like oh i can't wait to get back home so i think you know but i what i ended up doing was like a lot of sports when i was in junior high and high school mm -hmm. so i was a little bit more engaged with the outdoors at that time but it actually wasn't till college that when i met kind of like an outdoorsman um friend who was into like, we got into rock climbing together and he was really into camping and he showed me how to build a fire and stuff like that. That was the first time when um, I actually did any outdoorsy stuff. So it was kind of this weirdly like unfamiliar thing when I came to it. Okay. So as you got into, into high school and college, I guess, I mean, you mentioned some of the people you were reading, some of the texts you were reading. Was it, was it fantastical? Was it an escape? You know, that's not always a negative thing. Like, cool. Like I can travel the world through books and was it more of that? Was it was it more grounded in realism? Maybe as you got a little bit older. Who were some of those transformational, formational writers and and texts? Yeah, it's so weird. You know, I I think a lot of the sort of transformational writers I didn't have a choice of reading were the people who came out of the classes I was taking, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the first time I really felt like I had like a choice or like I was making a decision to read something, and it's like embarrassing because I'm this long haired writer. Um, you know who used to wear bandanas a lot but david mm. foster wallace was uh -huh. like you know the big you got love. me with the bandana i knew that was coming when you said bandana yeah you gotta set it up <laughs> <laughs> and yeah so i got really deep into like some of the short fiction and i started reading the long stuff and um yeah i don't know i mean it was really formative for me it was really it basically showed me that like fiction could do something that I needed from the world and from art and something I wasn't getting anywhere else. Mm. And I have this really complicated relationship to him and his work now. Right. Um, so that when I like touch on that legacy, especially because it's a legacy shared by like a, a lot of other, particularly other white, white, white men like me, um, there's this, you know, kind of like eye rolly thing that can sometimes happen, but you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that it's there more recently, like, you know, my, I'm not just reading David Foster Wallace, but that was that was kind of what what set me on the path a little bit. Well, you said I mean, you said specifically his fiction. I mean, we talk about like Infinite Jest or. Yeah, people are always digging, like consider the lobster and his okay. nonfiction, the stuff about tennis. Right. Um, but I don't know. There was something about the fiction for me mm -hmm. that that did it um, yeah. like imaginative stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, as we speak, like in my car, I have. I have the um, a very fun thing. Can I can't remember the title. Oh, supposedly fun thing. Fun thing I, to, right. I have yeah. that you know turned over to a certain page. I I was just looking to consider the lobster, the actual text. I know that's the collection, but the the essay itself. Yeah. Going back to it, I um, I guess I guess his nonfiction to me is just so mind blowing that I haven't really. I mean, I definitely. I'm not gonna pretend like I've read Infinite Jest. I I read his. Uh, I started to read that book he did on hip hop. Did you ever read that? No, I actually didn't. No, oh, don't, don't, don't. It was. It's it was, probably you know, super cringe, right? Oh, so cringe is the word. It was just like, oh no, and you know, some of that maybe is like historical revisionism. But anyways, if I were to do another podcast, I think I would do it just on the the long essay that is a supposedly fun thing. That that essay to me is just you know, I mean, like I always the footnotes, the yeah, just the 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 specificities, everything, and but like you said, there's. You know, in recent years, this idea of like the the male genius, the white male genius, who's often you know his his peccadillos are often overlooked. You know, totally. It's like it's very like, complex. Yeah, and the major, not just the peccadillos, but sort of like the overall 
way of approaching the world. I mean, he was kind of trying to undo mm. the maximalist thing, or that's what he sort of said he was trying to do. But I think where I really found my own self as an author was, or like as a writer or as a reader or as a person, I don't know, is when I started discovering like small press experimental stuff that was like shorter, more subtle, mm-hmm. more generous, like there was more space between kind of more room for me as a reader. That's when I like the thing that had been like triggered by all that, all that work from Wallace and, you know, Eggers and stuff like that um, really began to kind of take root in a way that felt like it had more to do with like the way I wanted to be perceiving the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want to get lost in a thousand page book, at least for the oh. last 10 years, I haven't wanted that, you know, <laughs> and uh, sometimes I want that, but, but in general, you know, I want to try to come after some kind of like, like acknowledgement of my own limitations, you know, and just mm-hmm. like putting text on the page in a way that, um, it's really generous and like opening space for people. So hmm. when I started encountering that, that was, that was the thing that was like, Oh, and I felt like I found my voice a little bit more. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. It seems like maybe kind of, I mean, what you're saying a little bit too is like that the, the minimalist and that's probably oversimplifying, but the minimalist is you enjoy that more because you know, the opposite. Yeah, I think so. You know, it, and, and, probably partially because like large aspects aspects of my like how I was raised and my identity and like my own predilections probably like mm-hmm. in some ways tend towards that like maximalist like I'm gonna run out my brain until it explodes kind of thing mm-hmm. and I think I mean in a way like Wallace was a limit case of that and he was a way of showing like hey this is as far as you can get with that and then okay like it's up to other folks to to do other work um of like what's another way to solve these problems right right Right. i've thought about this a lot but i never i've never talked (laughs) about it before so i'm trying to find the language sorry go ahead no it makes sense it makes sense um i I hate to be i hate to get so so dark with it but you know you talk about the bandana like i don't know if it was the story is either possibly apocryphal but like he supposedly said you heard the reason why he said he wore the bandana yeah it was like like keep his brains from you know keep his brains in that type of thing yeah explode I know. And obviously, I mean, lived a very tortured life in many ways. Yeah. yeah. You know, I guess you could trace some of that. You could trace that through his writing. I know. I always, I always want to do that. And then I'm like, eh, you know, I don't want to do that to him. And I yeah. want to respect, yeah. you know, limit his own personal limitations. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, you know, life is connected to the art and I want my art to feed back into my life in a way that's yeah. like, giving me energy and not taking me apart, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 the last thing on him, I guess, is the, um, you know, the supposedly fun thing. I mean, there's so much about nihilism, just despair, but it, you know, I mean, that's the whole point of his essay. So it's like, it's like meta. There's so much despair that comes through, even that he's maybe not trying about a cruise, which is supposed to be way. Yeah. Woo. You know, get away. From- right. Anyways. Anyways. For whatever reason, 10, 20 years after reading that essay, I just really want to go on a cruise. <laughs> I don't know why, you know, like maybe just to get deep in the despair. Right. <laughs> that, I would say my, my cruise experience was not despair. It was, I was still youngish, went with a friend and we didn't like go crazy partying or anything like that, but it was like, we did it, I think a three day to Ensenada from, from Southern California. And, you know, just like great food on the, on the thing. You can have pizza 24 seven, you can get an ice cream. You want to lift weights. There's a workout. It's just amazing. Yeah. You know? I forget if it was the original or 
the I think it was the original. The original title that I think it was published in Harper's Magazine. The the article I'm talking about, the essay, was something about getting away from get getting away with getting away from it all. Or mm, and so we'll right, come back right. to that. Of course, I mean a big part of your collection is just about retreat, escape. Connotations of that as negative nor, or positive. You know, there's a lot there about getting away from it all. He he was saying in the in the in the essay, it was like almost every person he interviewed was like you know that was on the cruise with him was like, oh, you know, I deserve this. I need to relax. I need to get away. Like, it's a must. Uh, I never thought about those connections. That's super fascinating with this book because, yeah, it's all about, like, some way of engaging with your life in the most authentic ways if you're mm. actually going to go away from your life. And, like, that's going to be the thing. And, and weirdly, like, some of the transformation I've been talking about or thinking about um, in this vein is, like, instead of fleeing like staying you know mm -hmm. like, what happens mm -hmm. when you show up to your own self and you show up to your own life and you like sit with it for a minute and you like take some silence and stuff like that and, yeah i'm no expert but oh man well you rendered it pretty dang well on the page what uh how about in 2023 or in recent years who who you've really been inspired by whether you know whether poets or not whether writing about some of the same topics or not yeah i uh I was heard you asking other people on the podcast this question. I was like, oh, I better do some research and remember because it's like I read books and then say fly know. out of my mind. You fly know? out of your mind, yeah. Um, but yeah, just some just some people who are popping up. I mean, the the first like really small press author who was doing like funny like little flash fictions who I really keyed into was Amelia Gray, mm. and um, her whole ampm was the book but um her whole like writing style and career were just like super influential for me but more recently um you know i was reading like sawako nakayasu's uh, pink waves it's like a book of poems it was like composed okay. improvisationally it's super hybrid um you know i was reading like lynn shu's book uh from wave books it has a long title that i don't totally remember mm. but it's just the formatting and like the imagisticness of the language was just so mm. magic um and i've been like catching up on toni morrison because like okay. unfortunately she wasn't part of my formal education really um and i've just been like oh like this mm -hmm. is it so mm -hmm. it's weird trying to balance the experimental stuff with um with I guess Toni Morrison was really experimental too, right? But mm -hmm. the poetry with the prose. Um, I was also reading uh, Minor Chorus by Billy Ray Belcourt. Oh, okay. That's a novel I love recently. And yeah, they just, for me, it's like anything that kind of breaks the mold or like does something that's like, oh, like you're not supposed to be able to do this with this genre, but uh -huh. it just happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who Who's really clicking with your students? Oh, who, do, who did I teach recently? Um, I taught some of the Billy Bray Belcourt novel and that mm -hmm. was coming back around to a student that I was for a student I was working with hmm. um, recently. Uh, a short story writer named Patina Gappa um, has this book called Rotten Row that I taught a couple stories from and people were really clicking with. Um, they're really dynamic and exciting because hmm. uh, I've mostly been teaching fiction recently, but we yeah. also read Ingrid Rodojas Contreras. Nice. And, um, yeah, I mean, like her memoir is just so awesome. We read some yeah. of her novel too. Yeah. And uh, she actually came here and visited and it was just so exciting. Right. So, so students cool. were really keying in on that. The Something about the drunken tree? Yeah, Fruit of the Drunken, Fruit tree. Of drunken tree. Yeah. And the I... memoir is Man Who Could Move Clouds. Yeah. 
the memoir is, is incredible. I haven't had a chance to read the, the fiction. The memoir was, yeah, just like genre expanding, genre breaking, you know? Yeah, totally. We just had so many conversations about like, what does it mean to tell a story and what does it mean to like tell it in mm-hmm. the way that you need to tell it instead of like trying to get the objective facts and get uh-huh. it down on paper in a certain type of way. And she questions like kind of assumed notions of that and like mainstream literary culture or white American culture or whatever. Uh-huh. So, so effectively. Man. Yeah. As you've gotten into, as you got into higher education and as, as well as teaching in higher education, do you seek out muses? I, you know, I think of nature and like the muse. I, I remember writing just a, well, I'll say terrible. It was all right. I, I remember literally going to Santa Cruz, you know, kind of off, off the central coast of California, went to Santa Cruz with a friend. I was like, I'm going to write a poem. Like I'm going to be inspired by nature, you know, hell or high water. Right. And yeah. it was, it was all right. Do you, but do you <laughs> like seek out muses in, in nature in other texts? Like kind of where do you find your ideas? Oh, that's such a cool question. I feel like, you know, f- for a while I was traveling a lot and like living in multiple different places, you know, from year to year and just having a lot of new experiences in terms of like relationships and like emotional experiences too. And so I always felt like the thing was right there. Mm-hmm. Like I always had all this built up uh, tension or energy or attention that I really the reason I wrote is to get that out and put it mm. somewhere. So like, weirdly, it was it was always there in a way. And I'm in this moment in my life where, um, you know, we just, we had a baby two years ago. So like, you know, like there's no time to like search for anything, right? Yeah. And, uh, but it's really magic. There's nothing to search for here either because I'm still full of all these remainders. And so I can just... Mm sit down and I'm like oh my god like I'm just so full of all this stuff that doesn't get expressed and doesn't get shared and you know magically like it's just coming out of playing in the living room like putting together a Lego set like building three mm-hmm. different parking lots for the cars to go between or whatever mm-hmm. um, still there's something like kind of welling welling up in me and I don't know maybe that's how the woods stuff was too right like I started this project by thinking about moss a ton mm-hmm. and it's because I was just living in Oregon and it's just moss everywhere. Mm. I was like, what is going on with this stuff? So I, I had the chance to follow it a little bit more yeah. at that time, but. You know, the, the three worst words in the English language, What's some that? assembly required. Oh my God. Yeah. I, yeah. Maybe I it comes can't. naturally to you. It does not come to me. It does not come no. naturally to me. No, my partner does it. Oh, I, I don't right? do it. I totally right? bail. I'm the yeah. worst. Man. Well, congrats on the little one. Obviously, I know that changes changes the amount of hours you have, but it also changes your outlook. I'm not to be, I'm not saying anything incredibly deep, but and profound, but but for sure, I know that as a, as a father, right? Yeah, no, it's deep because you have kids too, or a kid? I do. I have two. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, did did it change your outlook? Oh yeah, and I've I've never successfully. I mean, I guess I haven't. I don't know. I, I'm so frustrated, but I've tried to write about being a father about. It. Nothing of note has ever come from that, but, but yeah, I mean, just, uh, you know, I just, I, I teach at the school where my, where my kids are, they're on the same campus and it's just like, man, to be able to see them every day, yeah, you know, and then, you know, once, once my son will be smiling and happy and other times he's kind of maybe a little embarrassed by dad, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it must be such a balance. It humbles you. It, it is. Exactly. It's exactly. really humbling. <laughs> yeah. And just finding those 
moments when you can like really be present with it you know like because sometimes mm. it's like ah i'm like working hard to make this whole thing happen yes. and then every once in a while my mind will just like snap into actual awareness of what's going mm. on and like how cool the thing is that we're doing totally and yeah it's, it's really totally. magic well so i mean i'm i'm a big i'm into commas and punctuation they matter obviously you're like so is this you're the woods too is this like a pause after woods is, is this you're the woods too, as in you're the woods also. Like, how do you pronounce the title? Oh yeah, I guess I say you're the woods too, and I always have to say it like three three times whenever I tell somebody what the book is. <laughs> they're like, "What are you talking about?" Uh, but so yeah, stress, I mean, it, like, that first word, I guess. You're the woods. Too. Yeah, you're the woods too. Like you too okay. are the woods. Like uh, uh. the woods aren't just the woods. Like you're the woods. Yes, too. yes, yes. Well, it's, um, you know, some poems aren't titled. It's, you talked about some, you're a fan of, some, you know, some hybrid writers. I mean, it's, is it, it's fair to say it's a hybrid, right? It's, yeah, I mean, they're, def totally. they're definitely through lines, of course. Um, but I just love to know some of the, oof, pun intended, some of the seeds for the collection. <laughs> nice. I love that yeah, pun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the seeds, the moss was like the seed, right? even though that's not how they reproduce, I think. So maybe the, <laughs> especially in that part, but the, the moss was the seed. And then I kind of actually went out in the woods and had been going out in the woods for a long time to kind of like, you know, think about life and do adventures and sort of like conquer the mountains and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And there was always this sense of, um, I need to do this thing to like prove to myself that I'm good or I need to do it to like get some level of like awareness mm. or, you know, be in a place that I feel like I should be. I don't know if it was like as a man or like, you know, as sort of a human who defines myself against nature or whatever, but there are all these things that kind of, I might not, you know, subscribe to now that were kind of like driving me out into nature and trying to make me do stuff out there. So mm. I think those were the seeds, right? This, this deep image of moss just like surrounding me. And then also this deep feeling of like, what the hell am I doing with all this Hmm. Uh, with all this nature that I'm like kind of suffering in kind of like getting rained on and being really achy at the end of big hikes and going on big runs and nearly hurt, hurting or hurting myself or just feeling bad. Why am I doing this? What does the woods hold for me? And like, why do I like moss so much when I don't have yeah. to do that stuff? It's just sitting there. And I, I like that experience so much better than throwing myself into like a pit of exhaustion. <laughs> Well, my, my, you got my Google browser full of, you know, moss searches, moss, moss, moss. So, I mean, moss, like, well, so first of all, I would, my last um, guest, the episode comes out, hasn't come out yet, but Erica Berry wrote Wolfish, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, Oregon, 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 Oregon. She's from Portland. We you know a lot of it's in like Eastern Oregon, you know, with the wolves and the, so I'm, I'm definitely in the Oregon space. So you're talking, you're talking more Oregon state is more, what part of the state is, is like Corvallis in? It's a couple hours South of Portland. Okay. So it's um, not on the coast and it's not in like dry mountainous Eastern uh -huh. Oregon. It's, it's still super wet and mossy, but it's not quite on the coast. It's a lot yeah. of farmland out there, a lot of agriculture, but, um, and, and weirdly in the place I was staying, there was a lot of clear cut trees too. So mix of like really beautiful green wetness, uh -huh. you know, the inevitable like harvesting of, of sure. nature. Well, yeah. thank you. I don't know that I've thought about moss that much in my life, but it's, I mean, it's, it can be seen, I guess, as like generous almost like it helps the other plants thrrive. It's, you know, I, I saw things about like, it, they're basically like sponges. They soak up the rainfall. They maintain the moisture. Are, am I going too much into what, 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 
what are you seeing with moss what why was that your 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 um motif totally yeah my big uh sort of bible of moss is robin wall kimmerer's book gathering moss it's just this beautiful book like telling you everything you need to know about moss and yeah it has all these functions for the larger ecosystem right even though it's really small um and it has these like magical qualities of kind of like living in a a boundary layer between like the sky and the earth or the sky and whatever is below the sky and it sort of takes advantage of like the specific qualities of that boundary layer to sort of do the thing that it needs to do and so there are all these these beautiful qualities about it but i think you know I've never been like a scientifically minded person. I've always been sort of rejecting of mm-hmm. scientific ways of thinking. Um, and and so I always just follow my intuition instead, which puts me on the wrong side of science because I don't really know anything. Um, <laughs> but I also had these experiences of like seeing moss, thinking about moss. And in the case of like the moss poems that were in here, like trying to think through it or like inhabit it, that... I don't see them as being like actually representative of Moss or um, saying something necessarily about the world without humans. Mm. But I think my goal or or what I was doing without a goal was to like live in what I imagined to be like kind of a Moss consciousness, which in a way mm. I thought of as contrasting with that more like David Foster Wallacey, like spin out by writing like infinitely until you explode um, mm. type of thing. You know, for me, like, moss was a space where i could like be and reside and and inhabit a place and then i use some scientific language to kind of mm-hmm. give me a grounding there kind of like yeah. hook into that yeah. um but yeah at the end of the day it was me trying to find a place to rest i think or to like mm. actually be with a line you know some of these poems are like five lines in there so i'll just sit with that line and just stay with it and that's mm-hmm. really hard but my hope is that like, not just for me, but for somebody reading it, it would be like a little bit magic too. Yeah. You, you talk about your relationship with science. I mean, are you like, are you one of those people who doesn't believe the birds are real? Like that kind of? <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. Birds are not real. Like, look obviously, it up. <laughs> obviously, obviously. Okay. <laughs> um, so like, I mean, there's, you know, all the Latin, like there's, uh, you know, I don't know, 20, probably more of the poems are, are categorized, you know, or titled with like, what is it? Decranium Hawaleui Usnea Longimissima. The last one is um, organ, organinum, you know, for organ. I was thinking maybe oregano or something. Right. <laughs> but, right. you know, but but the, you have these these scientific, these, you know, the Latin, uh, what's the word? You know, the, the, the terminology is how much importance is in each individual one or is it like, hey, these are all representative of like a whole or, or this, this, or the small part where I'm writing of, writing about. Yeah, I love that. I, I feel like the individual one is important in that I would usually look up the mosses, like a description of the moss and the designation and stuff um, before I would write the thing about the moss. So I kind of sit with that for a minute. And mostly I'd sit with like, I don't know what this is talking about. Like, it doesn't make any mm-hmm. sense to me. I don't know the terminology. Even if I did, it wouldn't tell me anything about this mm-hmm. thing. And, and that was actually the experience I was trying to like bounce off of because Robin Wall Kimmer has this line about how like uh, there are no common names for moss because nobody has bothered with them. You know, there's huh. only these scientific names. And because I found those so alienating, like reading the scientific descriptions, like hanging out mm. with them, I would do it. And then I'd be like, okay, what's like a common name that I can give to this thing? What's a way that I can approach this that feels 
uh, resonant, connective, like to me mm. through like language that that I might, you know, connect with other people on. Mm-hmm. Uh, poetry is is a language like that for me. So, mm-hmm. so that was kind of how the individual ones would influence it. But in general, you know, I, I always find it so funny to think about how like there are these really like strict labels we want to put on things. We want to say like, this is what it is. It's in the book. You know, there's a sketch, there's a description mm. and there's like the Latin name name. And <laughs> it's just hilarious because it, you can't contain something in that mm. way of containing. You can't put something in that box, even as much as, you know, science or biology or um, classification might try to. I think scientists know that too. Um, but I'm just so like filled with, uh, weirdly the beauty of like trying and failing at that, Hmm. you know? So I, I guess I'm trying and failing again in a different, really specific language. Sure. Yeah. The opening poem is seems to really get the idea of like nature being uncontrollable. We we try, we have tried throughout history. Green is cap is capitalized like all the letters, and that's throughout much of the collection. Also, besides green, there's also the we, the world we. I'd love to know what the we kind of how that represents, but also just the idea that it's capitalized. What uh, what are you going for with that? Right. So the italicized sections that tie together this work are to me like a set of stage directions that kind of like what i was thinking yeah 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 i was reading like a, lot a screenplay of, well more like theater right yeah maybe like a screenplay i more of what i was reading at the time was uh a lot of stuff from plays inverse that's uh, a press mm-hmm. um that publishes basically like experimental plays like for the book format and and so i was just like oh yeah you can have that immediacy in a uh-huh. book and so my idea was oh okay we have this like theater that like no person has ever been in it's just nature Mm -hmm. it's sort of not affected by our ways of like categorizing it or um, trying to perceive it and name it and so so that was the idea that like these capitalized things are characters and in that way green becomes a character too right um and it becomes a character i think partially because like we can't take it for granted like we can't Mm -hmm. take for granted the things that we apply to the natural world you know we say oh like let's go green or whatever. Hmm. Um, somebody else was just sending me, uh, Orca Tierney, who wrote this great book about lichen um, that came out with the same press recently, just sent me this article about like the many, many uses of green and how complicated it is and how it can basically, uh, you know, be accounted for in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. And so I just think it's really interesting to like take green and say like, okay, this is a way of like pretending we can also encapsulate nature too, mm-hmm. right? But what if we lean into that? What if we lean into the um, the artifice, you know, the artifice of naming the world for a minute? Huh. I, I can't promise you that I actually meant all that when I wrote it. Uh, honestly, when I talk about my books, I just feel like- Well, they're developing, right? It, it develops as you write it. It has different meaning when it enters the world or maybe slightly different, right? Yeah, totally. And when you talk about it, that's why this conversation and the chance to do it is so beautiful. Like, because it feels like we're rewriting it too. Sure, sure. It's still in process. Yeah. I think it's the second poem, was the first one that introduces, you know, Shot Pouch Cabin in Oregon, which, you know, we have the seven days of the trip at the cabin or, or the maybe trip's not the right word. A lot of it is about the relaxation part, but very tranquil setup, like, quote, nature is a stomach. 
some Gordon Lightfoot, you know, my, my dad introduced me to some great Gordon Lightfoot, you know, that's a perfect example, just some really chill laid back music. Totally. Uh, quote, I already know I'm small. The world knows it better. I mean, that's a heck of a line. Um, in opposition to the pen. So you set up the pen, like the literal pen, like the writing pen that was, I guess, like responsible for oil fields and cold war. That's how you write it. I wonder about the symbolism of the pen. Is it kind of like, um, you know, just writing these things into history, the, I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering what this idea of this tranquil setup and then this pen, which is poised as a, as an op- opposing force kind of. I love that interpretation so much. Oh my God. Thank you, Pete. Cause like, it's, I never thought about that, honestly, but it totally captures something that was happening, which was, I was in graduate school at the time, like doing my MFA and me and the person I was dating at the time, like got this shared writing residency to go Mm. out in the woods to this like cabin that the school kind of owned. And like you arrive out there and it's this really beautiful setting. You don't have to do anything except cook. We had to cook a lot. Um, (laughs) I know it's the worst, right? but you didn't have to, you know, you didn't have any like life responsibilities. The city, mm-hmm. the town wasn't bearing down on you. And at the same time, you had this idea that you're supposed to write. You're yeah. supposed to like make things. Right. Uh-huh. And so you arrive and like, there's, there's instantly this tension between like, here's the world around you. Like here's how mm-hmm. well it's doing without you. And mm-hmm. in a way you could just like give yourself up to that. But for me, something about being like a person and like maybe opposing myself to nature in some sort of artificial way mm-hmm. has to do with this deep desire to make something and to like do something sure. that contributes or matters. Mm-hmm. And maybe mm-hmm. that takes up more space than it is actually due. Um, and so, yeah, there's just like this feeling of tension between those two things. And a lot of times that's what writing is for me. You know, it's like my home, it's like my retreat. But at the same time, it's like the thing I'm like, if I didn't want to write, if I could like let go, I would probably mean that I was like a happier or more present person mm. or more like integrated with the world. Mm. Um, it's it's those remainders like I was talking about earlier, I think, that like make me go to the pen or the laptop mm. or whatever it may be. And so like, yeah, I guess there's sort of like a, a sadness in that, right? But also, you know, there's still the rest of the world too. And so sure, the tension's sure. always bouncing back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot in the collection like about like emptiness versus fullness. They don't necessarily have to be in opposition to each other. But, um, you know, one of the lines is like a gift, but to itself. I don't remember exactly what even I was talking about, but just being a gift to itself, not, not having to be something external. And I'm kind of wondering just about connotations of emptiness and fullness. One of the, another great line is, quote, our world is big, but not in the direction of the ocean. The bigness is a smallness. I think of, you know, the ocean always seems to be that, that analogy, like, oh, you know, it's just like the ocean. It's never ending. You look out. But I just wonder about like what kind of your ideas of emptiness and fullness as you wrote this collection about nature, about, you know, about the person's experience within. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I, I feel like I was really navigating that a lot. Like the editors at Essay Press were just amazing um, in helping me question that thing about like the emptiness versus the fullness, like pushing me to go a little further on it because it felt like I was like setting up for that, but I didn't like quite talk about it. So I feel like in this draft, I'm like actually talking about it more Mm -hmm. and it's, it's more resolved in the book in my own life. It's this like deep tension. It always has been, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it resulting from having my identity constructed as kind of 
a default identity growing up. Like it's really easy to do that as like a white man and, um, you know, being wealthy and living in a wealthy community and like having a lot of default um, or like standard quote unquote characteristics, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of like mainstream uh, American culture or what it wants to represent. And so like having that sense of like, oh yeah, I'm just like a person, right? And I don't have any specific identity characteristics is like a huge privilege. And at the same time, it, it gave me this weird like lack of actually understanding who I was or what I was or like what distinguished me from other people. And so I think that like settled really deep in me early in my life. And, um, you know, I, this is one of the places where I'm working at. I feel like I was kind of doing that in my Antarctica book too, like these massive white expenses, like mm. what is this place, you know, but is the thing about retreating out in the woods too, you know, you leave to try to find yourself you're always trying to find yourself in other people. And there's like, you know, long histories of like colonialism and like exoticizing mm-hmm. um, foreign travel and yeah. all kinds of stuff like that, that like, you know, you find yourself by going out there and like meeting right. other people and seeing right. the world and stuff. And those are, those are things, you know, I, I sort of did, I, I traveled a lot and, and things in addition to doing all this like outdoor adventuring, but yeah, always the answer has actually ended up being like, just like, going home, staying with myself, Hmm. thinking about what actually constituted me. Yeah. That makes sense. They're not polar opposites the way that you pose them in the, in the collection. It's like, Mm. I mean, emptiness Zen is too oversimplified, but like, I mean, is is there like a Zen there? Is there like an an emptiness as a, as a positive? Yeah, maybe I Mm. like, cause I was very influenced uh, at the time I was like meditating every day at that time. And like, I continued to try to do that. And, um, I'm definitely influenced by different like schools of thinking about sort of the world mm-hmm. in a Buddhist way. And yeah, I, I think that probably influenced it too. I, in a way that emptiness scares me. And I think like the way you're picking up on it, like seeing them not as dualistic or like opposite, I think I just need to get there as a person, you mm. know? Oh yeah. Same. Like, same. But it's like, so cool that you articulate. I mean, cause yeah. if you can see, Tell me if this is what you're saying. It seems like if you can see that emptiness as like deeply related to the fullness, you can sort of like let go of like the anxiety that comes with all that stuff. Well, I mean, you're the one who wrote about it so great. Like I, I'm I'm thinking of like, like so many times in the collection you write about this trying to be in the moment, trying to fully, fully under, you know, be in the moment. And that could mean 10 different things to 10 different people. But like to me, that's an emptiness. That's you talk about meditation. Like I always have so much trouble. I'll even lead meditation short meditation exercises in my classes and i'm like that is so hard for me to turn my brain off and i know i'm not the only one but just the idea for me emptiness obviously has the negative connotations but it can have really positive ones like i would love to empty myself and literally live in the moment like in this moment but gosh dang it's hard when you when your main character comes back to the city there's you know the the lawn the leaf blower and there's just things that get in our in our way seven days at the cabin I'm I'm maybe overthinking of I'm thinking of like almost like the like paradise and the biblical story of creation. Um early on in the collection, some about is the rain falling down or up, which is such a cool image of you know just kind of being with it and all depends on how you see it. Um we're still falling, and I'm thinking of maybe the fall, like the fall of man. We but also like we invent a cruel imaginative God. And then there's also like an imagined conversation with God later on where God basically is like, know thyself. How, is is the collection spiritual? Is it religious? Is it 
kind of how do you how do you see that? Yeah, it, it's really I mean because we were talking about both going to Jesuit schools yep. um, during important part of our lives and like I was raised in you know largely Catholic culture even though my family wasn't religious. Uh, my dad had been Catholic and that wasn't anymore. So that was like what was influencing me, right? Those mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. And I really think they creep into my writing in like non-intentional ways because it's like such the paradigm that um, just inhabits my body, you know? Yes. But yeah, to look at it in retrospect and think about what that means, I do think like, especially a sense of like guilt and trying to do things right. <laughs> you I mean, have Catholicism? No, no. No way, right? <laughs> I know. I feel so stereotypical, but it's like such a huge part of my life. <laughs> there's that. And there's a sense of like, I got to do things right, you know, and I got to like do right by the world or do right by like whoever. Right. Hmm. Um, and I think like the sort of, it's almost like the opposite well, maybe it's not the opposite. Maybe like a fall from the garden is the exact thing that happens in the, in the mm. sort of biblical story. Like it's a sense of when I was out on that retreat and like thinking about how the book was constructed as a whole, like that sense of there's so much possibility in like this paradise. There's so much possibility in the world. It's it's so beautiful and I can't understand it. And, and that fact is so magical. Um, and like, here I am, this person who's bringing all this attachment and ideas about how things should be and like the pen that you were talking about. Um, and definitely some of the relationship stuff that goes on in the book too, right? There was just this like relationship that was happening that just like wasn't working, but I didn't know what I needed out of it. And like, I was bringing all this weird stuff to the table too. And, and so like you, all of that was there and I um I had to spend time with it I had to notice it and by the time we left it was like yeah I hate going back to the leaf blowers and the (laughs) you know like the many many cars stacked up at the intersection and all the things that like indicate kind of the fall from paradise right but at the same time it it feels like home Mm. because that's where I sort of see my own like anxieties or tensions reflected and like mm-hmm. almost like honored in some way by yeah certain dysfunctional qualities of the world that we've created or something yeah. well yeah i mean even just like posing it as like a like home like uh, you know like home is the place i'm going back to like this is just a a retreat and escape theater obviously is so big in the collection it's this idea of almost like being on stage one of the lines is i'm afraid of what i might take with me if i did if I did have a camera, that is right. Yeah. Again, being in the moment instead of like, oh, I got to take a photo of this. Just freaking enjoy, you know, where you are right now. A lot of capital letters you talked about, like this, like the screenplay or the theater directions type of thing. This idea of like. With or without us, it will go on. Um, you know, the world, the stage that was it, the Shakespeare, the world is a stage. Um, and but just about ideas of like who tells the stories of nature. And you, one of the words that you capitalize is men, a long line of men, right? You talked a little bit about that before. I mean, you know, all these great epic travels, so many of them written by by men. Um, you know, we seek the most genuous path, went into the woods to find America and shot every tree. Um, you know, finding gold, all these very 
you know, very aggressive, very kind of stereotypical masculine and and we're done so much by men. I wonder about ideas of patriarchy in, in, in nature. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it was really influencing those sections, particularly that begin, I went out in the wood to, woods to find myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then something else follows that, you know, there's like so many sections begin that way. And yeah, that was kind of like inhabiting, I think the worst parts of me, or maybe not the worst parts, but these parts of me that definitely exist and are definitely uh, influenced by all those narratives that you described you know i think in a way it was like exorcising those but of course i couldn't like get rid of them right they're still in Mm -hmm. me so in a way the weird thing is like people will start with these kind of negative intentions these tensions of like conquering or destroying or like Mm -hmm. doing something um that's going to be harmful to the the surroundings but then (laughs) like this sort of sometimes a surreal thing will happen or an unexpected thing or they'll float away tied to a bunch of balloons that their kids <laughs> tied to them or something. Right. And, you know, it was a way of sort of neutralizing that energy or like showing how that energy ultimately ends up can end up somewhere else. I mean, the reality is that, you know, climate change is being caused by these exact type of attitudes. And like, this is going to completely, like be the way that we look at the natural world going mm-hmm. forward, you know, in a yeah. amount of time. Yeah. But I think I wanted to see how that energy could be like redirected or to sort of vulnerability. I think the kind of alchemy that sometimes takes place if I'm like maybe doing something that would be interesting to me in, in those little sections is to take that energy and like perform some kind of act on it that ultimately like lays these men bare. Um, that ultimately takes this like capitalized we, this like very official, like mm-hmm. we're the people who are like conquering nature, or dealing with it or doing whatever we're supposed to do and disassembles it and picks it apart and uses all the types of language and form and kind of like surreal and fantastical sensibilities, all that stuff that I was talking about in terms of the small press experimental hybrid stuff mm-hmm. that influenced me. Mm. Like, what if you take those tools and apply them to to this kind of like masculinist um, ethic and, and what happens when you have to sort of like see these men after that's been done to them. And in a weird, weird way, that's kind of like a thing yeah. that I was doing to myself too. You know, like what happens when I undergo that change? Um, huh. So I think I think I'm weirdly maybe not on the other side of that, but it's a change mm. that's that's been happening for me. Yeah, retreat, escape. We've we talked a lot about already. I mean, there's there's so many great lines uh, about those type of things. Again, can be seen. You know, retreat can be seen as, as something cowardly. A retreat is in a religious sense, right? A retreat is a recenter yourself, find yourself, escape. Again, man, I'm gonna escape the heat talking about climate change, I'm going to escape, it's 110, let's go to a cooler place. There's so many different ways, positive and negative. Quote, no amount of static convinces us we'd been far enough away. Mm-hmm. I can't be here. I think here was referring to the woods and with you. Um, she needed me, you know, referring to to the girlfriend at the time or the the, the woman in the story, in the, in the poem. She needed me to stay. I needed to leave. You find only what you brought with you. You find only what you brought with you. That's so good. When we return from the woods, have we changed? I mean, I, I've got so many. There's so many great lines just about that idea. Um, at the end of the seven days, there's a return to, quote, tap water. There's a return to the internet. There's a return to the, what do we talk about? Uh, you know, the leaf blowers. 
is is the is the speaker changed irreparably irreparably like in a bad way negative positive way is it something that was just a little episode in the life you know how much of uh of that escape of that retreat will really kind of inform the rest of the life that's that's a pretty deep question actually i don't know that anyone could ever answer that but i guess i'm just asking about like how much that was just a blip on the radar and how much it was like a formative experience. Yeah. And that could be for uh, you or for the speaker of your poem. You can, you know, you can, yeah. Plausible deniability, you know? Totally. Totally. Yeah. I'm not one to like separate myself out that much from the speaker. <laughs> so like, I'm down to just be that person, you know? Um, I, it's weird. Cause like, you know, as a writer, you focus in on these moments and like, you sort of use them as, I don't know, like metonyms or, metaphors for the some larger change that takes place over like a greater period of time mm-hmm. i think to some extent that's what happened right like over time i realized like oh like this particular relationship is not going to work like i'm doing things in the relationship that are being like evasive of myself and my mm-hmm. own needs i'm participating in nature in a way that's like probably not so good for nature and like representative of larger destructive attitudes attitudes toward nature and are like destructive to me you know i'm like destroying myself trying to climb these mountains and stuff and it's like i don't know it's like pain that doesn't need to happen um so all these things are like things that i was realizing a little bit at the time and that that trip threw into relief for me but then you know over the next like several years more than several years as i wrote the book and wrote the pieces of the book and assembled them and edited them and all that stuff like every time I felt like I had a little more insight. And I, I actually mm. think it's like such a beautiful thing about the writing process. Like you get to have more insight than any individual version of yourself can actually have. Cause mm. I'm like collaborating with like my past, like many, many iterations of my past self. So like with every, you know, moment of tapping in, I'm like, Oh, like now I realize a little bit more about like the particular form of like delusion or way of seeing the world. Um, that I was doing so it's weird like I think maybe I didn't come out at the end of those seven days like totally getting it but I came out of writing the book realizing the stuff that the person in the book needed to realize and I hope to kind of like bring some of that realization to the to the page to um, leave the reader with some of that too well so much of the collection is about the you know meditative ideas and and peace and there's a great scene where you know, in the cabin, there's Tchaikovsky playing the the speaker or or Dennis J. Sweeney is looking for, you know, units of peace. That's what I hope for, where the breath, water under the bridge. And what is the bridge? We are the bridge and just really deep ideas um, and just ideas of, of units of peace. And even if it's kind of like a, I bring it up so often, but just like, I don't know, Foo Fighters ever long, you know, like this moment right now, like, let's take a mental picture. This is awesome this is as good as it gets and even if they're just units of peace hopefully they they build right yeah i remember that song oh my god that brings me back oh yeah so many years that's awesome to to recall it i actually never knew what the song was about like i just listened to the music and jam but like to think that that was like you know bringing that vibration so what is it like could could everything ever be this good forever Right. I, you didn't ask, but I'll tell you the acoustic version is better than the regular one. But anyway, that's her different. Oh, really? One. Yeah, acoustic version is pretty dang good. I feel like maybe I downloaded that like on Napster back yeah, when. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely did. 
<laughs> yeah. I definitely downloaded the one with the I mean, he's on the Howard Stern show where he does an acoustic. So yeah, good. that so might good. be the one. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I, I feel like that exact yeah, that sense of like finding peace, finding like a place to reside, you know. I feel like the peace that I'm able to think about, like not necessarily access or practice or anything right now, but like think about is one that actually accepts all the stuff that I bring up in the book because mm-hmm. it kind of be a one-line book if you were just like, <laughs> hey, you know, you shouldn't think in like a dominating, like masculinist, like sort of colonialist way about going out in the woods mm-hmm. and you should like, you know, be vulnerable in your relationships and be honest with yourself. And, you know, I, I feel like I could maybe write a little pamphlet or something. Page or but, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I think something that maybe justifies the book a little bit for me is like finding a way to like, um, accept and channel those things when they're in a self mm-hmm. uh, and like do something with them, do something with them. Yeah. And so I, I think that's the kind of piece that I can get at right now, you know, is to recognize my own attachment, recognize the things that I'm doing that I'm maybe not so proud of, or that I kind of wish hadn't become a part of me, mm. but uh, to look at them and say, okay, these are part of me. Like now, what am I going to do? And like, now how am I going to share magic with the world? And now how am I going to like experience magic, you know? And um, I don't know. It's like a more complicated piece, you know, than the sort of like idyllic version, but uh, it's one yeah. I'd be happy to have it. Yeah. I mean, there's no, it, like I said, it would be a boring and short book. There's no, there's no easy answers. There's no one answer. There's no objective truth, but just like the structure is hybrid, you know, the uh, the idea like, yeah, it's not, it's not go to the woods, find peace, go to the city, go to the suburban or urban areas and find the opposite of peace. Like not at all. You're talking about bringing some of those good ideas back from the woods, so to speak, with you into your normal life, integrating them. This was uh, like so many cool ideas, so many important themes. I got to figure the brains try, but I'd love to know maybe what other projects maybe you're working on down, down the road. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what am I working on? some poems that are like also trying to get in that space of just like convocation and living there um, and accepting it, staying with it. Uh, but I've also been working on a lot of writing about chronic illness. Like I have mm. Crohn's disease. Oh, wow. And so I've been writing a lot about like how I experienced that and my own, like a narrative that's related here, you know, a sense of like, ah, I don't want to have this disease. I don't want to be experiencing that. And then, trying to figure out like, oh, how do I just like live with the person that I am? Cause that's, that's who I am, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to, <laughs> I don't want to keep telling the same story over and over. Right. But mm-hmm. in some ways I feel like, you know, cycles happen and you run through the cycle, you get a little further ahead each yeah. time. So just kind of trying to stay with the cycles and, and find the things that I need to think about. And, and if I can channel them into some sort of like good magic for, mm. for myself and other people. Well, so cool that they're so personal and it's not like you just wrote it and, and release it into uh, what I was going to say a, tor- a torture chamber. What's the expression of vacu- uh, a chamber, oh, vacuum? You know what I'm I know a you're sound, talking about. Sound chamber, echo, echo chamber. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, sorry. Torture chamber. And because, you know, <laughs> because obviously it was it's so well awarded, so acclaimed the collection. So congrats. It was, it was awesome talking to you as a fellow educator and just really diving deep into it. I uh, just kind of an awe of, uh, of what you put together with a collection. I think it's, it's the, the Sealy challenge month, right. Where, you know, read yeah. a poetry collection, like 
these are not these there's there are these through lines in, in in collections like yours that are so impressive to be able to to bring it all together in 15, 20, 40 poems. It's pretty cool. So long story short, thanks so much for talking to me and it was and I wish you great luck in the future. Thanks so much, Pete. This brought out so much exciting stuff. I just I love talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode 202 with Dennis J. Sweeney. You can now subscribe to the Chills with Will podcast on Apple Podcasts and please leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills with Will podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills with Will PO1. Sign up now for the Chills at Will podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. My last name is R-I-E-H-L. Patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. The most recent bonus episode marked episode 200, talked about the inspiration for the podcast, and really got deep into some of the reasons that keep me going with the podcast. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. Did you know that I, I read every book that I talk about on the podcast? Did you know that I do all the work on my own? Research, editing, promoting. Please. Go ahead and share the podcast. Tell others about it. Share certain links. Share all the episodes. And if you can, please support via Patreon. There's also new merch you can browse and buy on etsy.com backslash shop chills at will podcast. Excuse me, that's etsy.com backslash shop backslash chills at will podcast. This is a passion project of mine, a DIY operation. And I'd love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look in an often ignored art form. The intro song for the Chills Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour, and both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 203 with V.V. Ganesh Ananathan, the author of the novels Brotherless Night, which is a New York Times editor's choice, and Love Marriage, which was long listed for the Women's Prize and named one of the best books of the year by the Washington Post. She also co-hosts the fiction, non-fiction podcast on Literary Hub. Brotherless Night is one of the most memorable books Pete has read in years, if not ever. You're going to want to hear this episode. This episode will air on September 12th. For now, thanks again for listening. And I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills. Like Dennis J. Sweeney, whose work, like You're the Woods too. Gives you chills at will.